Welcome to Realm of Faith Radio with Reverend Tox and Akuna Dejuwong. You know, when Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 18, that all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Well, who's the person that's speaking? Jesus. And who is he? That's God, the Son. When he said in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give unto you power. Actually, the word there is authority, exousia, to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the ability of the enemy. And he said, Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, what's back of that authority? Who gave it to us? Jesus gave it to us. And like we said, he's God manifested in the flesh. Right now, here's Reverend Talks with today's message. What is back of the name of Jesus? Part 3, Episode 1. Yeah, we're looking for a while now at the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. We've been studying about that name. And um, our uh, first... Uh, two weeks ago, when we began to look at that study, we asked ourselves, why do we want to study about the name? And we saw that the name of Jesus actually has in it all of God's power, all authorities vested in that name. And that it's been 2,000 years now since Jesus obtained that name. He hasn't used it once. He doesn't need to. As God, he rules creation by his word. So why then did he obtain that name with all of its power? He did it for the church. He did it for our benefit. So we talked about that. And then um, last week, we asked the question, how did he obtain his name? How did Jesus obtain that name? We saw that the fullness of the authority in that name was obtained by inheritance, by bestowal, and by conquest. That's how he obtained the fullness of the authority that is in his name. Now, today, I want us to look at what is back of the name? What is back of the name? What stands back of it? Now, for instance, um, different currencies are usually, yeah, there's paper, you know, money, it's paper. But then what makes that money have value is what is back of it, what stands back of it. Usually precious metals like gold, sometimes silver, they stand behind that uh, currency. And that's what gives the currency value. In the same way, what gives the name of Jesus value? What is back of it? What stands behind it? What, how much weight does he have? How much authority does it have? What is behind it? What gives it the, the authority and the power that we say it does have, which really does have? That's what we want to look at. And um, I want us to take our text from the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, and we'll read two verses there, Colossians 2 verses 9 and 10, Colossians 2 verses 9 and 10. The Bible says, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to study about the name of Jesus. Thank you because the power is in the name. The authority is in the name. Salvation is in that name. Healing is in that name. Victory is in that name. All majesty is in that name. Thank you because as we study today, you open the eyes of our spirits to behold wondrous truths out of your word. Thank you because we take that name. We go out in life's fight and we win. We give you all the praise for this. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Praise God. 
Yeah, so I'm teaching largely from these two books, The Wonderful Name of Jesus by E.W. Kenyon and The Name of Jesus by Kenneth e. Hagin, Legacy Edition. So I'm teaching from those books and uh, we'll quote some things there and maybe even just even read some of the things there. Now, what we read, the Bible says that in Jesus dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Amen. The fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we are complete in him. Now, what stands back of the name? What's back of the name? What gives the name of Jesus value? What is it? It's this fact. The fact that Jesus Christ is deity. It's backed by deity. Dr. Kenyon, in his book, The Wonderful Name of Jesus, he made quite some interesting statements along this line. And I'm just going to read it out. He said, there has never been a more intense battle over the deity of the man of Galilee than is being waged today. That the great body of the church doesn't see as they have never seen the issue squarely. Neither have they realized the result of this struggle. Unfortunately, we have arrayed against the deity of Christ, a body of semi-intellectuals. They are scarcely a half dozen who belong to this first rank. Now, debates have raged over the, the, the years on this issue. And in actual fact, the deity of the man of Galilee is the crux of Christianity. You know, you know that other religion, they don't mind admitting that Jesus is a prophet. But the, the issue is this, is he the second person of the Godhead? Is he the son of God? Amen. And we know that believing that he's the son of God is important to being saved. You know, to challenge this is to challenge the very essence of Christianity. The deity, like I said, of the man of Galilee is the crux of Christianity. If this can be successfully challenged, then Christianity will lose its heart and it will cease to function. Now, to say that Jesus was but a good man is to tell a lie. To say he was the highest expression of deity in humanity is to throw the lie in his face. Jesus either is or he is not who he declared himself to be. That's a fact. Now, um, uh, there is no denial that the challenge of his deity has already begun its reactionary effect upon society. If Jesus is not deity, then he's not Lord. If he's not Lord, he cannot interfere with our moral activities. If he's not Lord, then the laws that have been founded upon his teachings have lost their force. The morals that have surrounded marriage and its lofty ideals have no basis of fact. If Jesus Nazareth is not a revelation from God with divine authority, then he's but a man. If he's but a man, all that we have built around him must be destroyed. And we have built around this man our modern civilization. He has been the inspiration of young men. They have kept themselves clean and pure as they have looked upon his wonder life and sought to win his smile. Young women in the secret of their chamber have looked upon the face of the man of Galilee and have pledged to preserve the purity of their womanhood, that they might be worthy of the love and confidence of the man who, doubt, who died 2,000 years ago for humanity. Children have been incited to obedience and purity by the example and the teachings of that man. Businessmen have been deterred from crooked dealings by the consciousness that one day they will meet that man and give an account of the deeds done in their office. Men of all walks of life have felt a strange kinship with this man who walked the shores of Galilee, solitary among a multitude. 
We have no record of his sayings nor of his doings outside the four gospels. And if we repudiate them, then we have but a mythical picture of the man. If we challenge one of them, we have a right to challenge all of them. Either he stands or falls on those four biographical sketches. If he's not the son of God, then who is he? I want to believe that he's an incarnation because that's what the Bible says. I want to believe he dealt with the sin problem because that's what the Bible says. I want to believe he died for my sins and that he rose again for my justification because that's what the Bible says. I want to believe that he's seated at the right hand of God today as the intercessor and mediator of the human race. I want to believe that what he said about heaven is true. When he said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. I go there to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you might be also. I believe that. Praise God. Skepticism holds no place unto myself. Civilization has not only been builded around this man, but he has been builded into civilization. If you destroy his character, his standing, his place, then civilization must disintegrate. The wave of crime and lawlessness that is sweeping over the land is but a byproduct of the modernist's challenge of his integrity. Look, he's deity. That's a fact. So that name is backed by that fact. Now in Hebrews chapter 1, from verses 1 to 3, the Bible says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he had appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. The Bible says, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now we see in that place that the Bible calls Jesus the brightness of God's glory. One translation calls him the outshining of the father. He's called the express image of his person. The express image of his person. I remember in John 14, where John said that show us the father and it sufficeth us. We'll be satisfied if you'll show us the father. And Jesus said, have I been so long with you? And yet does not know me, Philip. He said, he that has seen me has seen the father. Amen. He's the very outshining of the father. See, God the father took a selfie. We looked at it, and who did we see? We saw Jesus. Glory to God. He's the very outshining of the Father. Yes, he was with him in fellowship. He's a distinct personality. Now, some people say that the issue of uh, the Trinity, that it's actually one person who manifests in three ways. No, that's not true. That's not Trinity. That's modalism. It's not one person who manifests in three forms. It's three distinct people who are one in agreement, who are one in purpose, who are in, you, you, it, it, the, you see, the Godhead is a team. Amen. The three of them are as one. Just like the Bible talks about a man being joined to his wife, the two become one flesh, right? Does it mean it's one person? No, there are two people, but the two are one. In the same way, there are three distinct persons, but the three of them are in agreement as one. Now, some people say that, no, there's only one person. Now, that can't be true. For instance, we're told in Matthew 28, verse 19, to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. We know in Matthew 3, 
uh, when Jesus was baptized by immersion in water, when he came out of the water, the father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. The Holy Spirit descended upon him in the bodily shape and form as a dove. We know that. The Bible says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. So you see, there was God the Father. He anointed Jesus. What was Jesus anointed with? With the Holy Ghost and with power. Now, Jesus did not minister by any power that was inherent in him as God. He ministered as a man anointed by the Holy Ghost. So there are three distinct persons, but the three of them are co-equal, and Jesus is one of them. He's the second person of the Godhead. It's important that we understand that. He is God. And that's why the word of God, amen, has its value. That's why the word of God has integrity. That's why the word of God can be believed. Now, the way I treat the Bible, I treat it as though the Lord Jesus Christ were here in person speaking to me. And I act upon it accordingly. You see, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says, For the word of God is quick, living, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder, soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. One translation, Moffat's translation, actually, of that uh, first part of the verse says, For the logos of God is a living thing. It's alive. It's alive. You know, sometimes folks say stuff like, if you're faced with a situation, go and pray and then get a word from God. Let God quicken a word to you. The truth is this. God can sometimes quicken words to us. God can sometimes speak and give us a what people call a rhema word in that sense. But the Bible is full of rhema words. Amen. The logos is the sum total of all of God's rhemas. God has in these last days spoken to us by his son. God's word is already quickened. Find a scripture that covers your case. Find a scripture that covers your situation. It's backed by deity. Amen. It can be trusted. It can be acted upon. It has integrity. You've been listening to Rema Faith Radio, brought to you by the partners and friends of Rema Nigeria. We offer training in God's word and in the things of the spirit for victorious Christian living and success and fulfilling ministry. Go to RemaNigeria.com to find out more on how to become a student or partner of Rema Bible Training Center Nigeria. Please call 081-01-166836. The number again, 081-01-166836. Kenneth Higgins Rema Bible Training Center Nigeria is here just for you.